Hello, my name is Sheila and I would like to welcome you to my podcast All About You. I love to listen to podcasts and especially conversations with famous people. However, I think everyone has a story to tell. Maybe a place you have visited, a hobby you enjoy or anything that you feel would be of interest. I want to have conversations with lots of different people and hear their stories. So if you have a story to tell, please contact me on my email allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com. Welcome to another conversation on the All About You podcast. Today, I have a very, very special guest, David Richmond from the USA. Now, David is an entrepreneur, an author, a public speaker, and an athlete. And his story is a story of courage, bravery, and sheer determination. can teach us all some very important lessons. David was at a point in his life where things just had to change for him and his family. He was overweight, a smoker, and a life full of stress, and also with marital issues. And on top of this, his sister developing terminal cancer. He knew changes had to be made, so he stopped smoking, began running 5 and 10K races, took up cycling, and then he wrote a book, Circle of Lives. This is the story of the lives of 15 different people affected by cancer. David cycling 5,000 miles and the journey through the emotional chaos of cancer. So this is just the beginning of his journey. And I'm so happy to welcome David to the All About You podcast and to let him tell his unique story of how a commitment to his sister set him on the path to speaking with people whose lives are affected by cancer. David, a very, very warm welcome to the All About You podcast. Well, thank you, Sheila. I'm very excited to be here with you. I'm, I always love uh, talking about this kind of stuff, and uh, I'm, I'm very excited to get into a conversation with you. David, can I just ask, how are you now? I mean, we're going to go into your story, but you know, how is life at the moment? Uh, life is good, you know. Um, I really, I really am very grateful for um, all the positive that's in the world. You know, uh, it's so easy to see the negative and it's so easy to focus on that negative. But uh, what we're all going through right now um, has just given us a chance to take a deep breath and be, we've been forced to reassess what's, what's important to us. I think uh, like butterflies, we're going to emerge from our our transformation stronger and, and better and, and hopefully, um, you know, even though it's very painful for a lot of people and there's a lot of difficulty in the world, um, I think we can we can all move forward from this. And that's that's where my mindset is, is that from from negative, sometimes you need to burrow up into a hole. Sometimes you need to uh, go off alone in the forest. Uh, some, sometimes you need to sit down and, and cry it out with others. But if you if you give it some time. Uh, you usually come out on the other side stronger. So that's what I'm, that's what, that, that's where my head's at right now, Sheila. Oh, there's some good positive words there, David. So I'm, I cannot give justice to your story. So I'm going to leave you to tell the story. <laughs> Let's hear what happened. I, I, I know bits of the story, but it, it's uh-huh. just amazing. So over to you, David. 
Well, well, thanks. So what, what happened, um, Sheila, is that, you know, as you mentioned um, just a couple of minutes ago, I had a lot of stresses in my life, some of them self-created uh, and some of them from the outside. You know, at the same time of, of going through very uh, tough personal issues, you know, my, my sister was in her, had, had told me that she was you know, going to be entering a battle with terminal cancer. She had a husband and young kids and a big circle of friends that, you know, really cared about her very vibrant life. And, you know, just decided that it, it was time to make a change in my life. And so how do you make changes in your life? The easiest way is look in the mirror and say, what am I going to do different? And for the first time in my life, I decided to do that and really start to look at what was important to me. And what was important to me was to become healthy. I was just unhealthy physically, emotionally, psychologically. And so I did. I, I ventured on a uh, like one side of me, the athletic side, which hadn't existed before, kind of developed. And I, as you said, I started running 5Ks, 10Ks, and then I did triathlons and I did Ironman distance triathlons and, and 100K runs and 150K runs and just crazy stuff. And on the emotional side, where my development came from, Sheila, was from uh, doing events that were in honor of my sister. And I noticed that when people were dealing with a trauma, especially the trauma of cancer, that they just weren't very well equipped to deal with the emotional side of things. So they could say, oh, I could lean on my friends to help me, you know, with uh, meals for my kids. And I want to, uh, you know, they, they could learn how to navigate work, insurance, where do I get the best help? Um, um, you know, all of these things, but, but the emotional side of it, they weren't able to uh, really focus on. They weren't equipped to have conversations with others about the emotional side of the trauma. And, and especially around cancer, it's a very, very difficult thing for people to wrap their brains around. I mean, what do you say when your friend says, Oh, my daughter-in-law just got cancer. What do you say when your coworker says, I, I need time off. My son just got cancer or my, my father just died. I mean, it's just, it's, we're just not well equipped to, to know what to do with that. And so it's a long answer, Sheila, but basically what I decided to do was to find super compelling people that had very, very, very impactful, evocative, inspiring stories about overcoming difficulties in their own lives and then how when they encountered cancer how they were able to process the emotional side of it in relation to all the other things that had happened in their lives and I thought by bringing their stories together that it might help people you know would help me would help you would help anybody uh, understand what people might be going through so that we can better engage in difficult conversations over this emotional side of things. So that's basically the, the whole story. I mean, that's the interesting thing, as you said, when we hear that somebody's family member or they are, are involved in, in, in cancer themselves or a family member, we don't know what to say. Do we sympathize? Will we say, you'll get through it? I mean, what do we say? Yeah. Yeah. When I was uh, one of the one of the book participants, his name is Bobby. His story is is first in the book. And he was telling me a story about his dad and his dad 
had a childhood friend that they spoke nearly every day. So for we're talking about for decades and decades and decades, very, very close friend, you know, spent their whole lives together. And uh, the friend's wife uh, got cancer, eventually died from cancer. And after she passed, um, Bobby, like a week later, called up his dad and said, so, so how is so-and-so doing? And he says, I don't know. And he says, well, how come you don't know? And he says, well, I haven't called him. And he goes, how come you haven't called him? He goes, I don't know what to say to him. And I've known him for 50 years and I don't, I don't know what to say to him. And Bobby goes, well, just call him up. Ask him about the weather. Ask him about sports. Ask him what he's having for dinner. He's your best friend. He just lost his wife. Anything. Say anything. But he didn't even know what to say because he was so worried that he might say the wrong thing. And so how do you go from a not having the bravery or the, the safety to call somebody to, to, to knowing that whatever you, you know, you, you do, you got, you're going to engage in a deep conversation. That's a very big difference between engaging in a deep conversation and being afraid to call. Right. And so I'm trying to bridge that gap. That is so interesting because as you say, we don't know what to say when we're talking to somebody else. We don't want to say the wrong thing. We want to say the right thing. We have no idea what we want to say, what we want to express. We don't want to make the other person feel worse. We want mm. to make them feel better. I mean, it's as almost, can we all be given a manual, say this, don't say that. I mean, I know that's putting it very black and white, but I think sometimes we would like to have something like that. So because you want to reach out, whether it's the person with cancer themselves or a family member that's affected. We just don't know what to say. Yeah. And there's a wide range. And, you know, I, 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 I've been thinking about this idea of being more heart centered and listening better and, you know, really trying to be present in the moment. And that gives you a little bit more, but it's still difficult. I know when I when I get engaged in a lot of difficult conversations with my sister before she died, I know that I used to beat myself up because I would say to her, just automatically, you pick up the phone and you say, hello, and, and it's somebody that you don't know, hey, how's it going? And I would, all of a sudden, I would just go, oh, she's dying of cancer. What do you mean, how's it going? What a stupid question, right? And one time I said to her, I said, hey, how you doing? And she said, and I went, oh, my God, I, I did it again. I asked you how you're doing and you're not doing well. She goes, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm doing fine. Yeah. OK, yes, of course, I'm dying and I'm not going to be fine at some point, but I'm all right. You can ask me the question. Right. That's that's becoming like safe to say, OK, I can say something stupid. Maybe asking them how they're doing isn't the stupid question. Now, go to the extreme when you know when you're talking to somebody who's dealing with a very difficult situation and you cut your finger cutting a tomato, you don't call them up and go, oh, I know what you're going through. I just cut my finger with a knife. <laughs> you know, I mean, there is there is a wide range of things that you can and can't say for sure. Most of the time, the person that you're wanting to talk to is just as uncomfortable and not knowing what to say as you are. Right. They don't want to make you feel guilty. They don't want to make it about them. They don't want to make you self-conscious. They feel embarrassed. They're, they don't want to be weak. They don't, they don't want to sound pitiful. They don't want your sympathy. I mean, there's a million reasons that they might be going through things. Maybe perhaps they're afraid if they start to talk to you, Sheila, that 
that you might you might shun them and and maybe maybe that reminds them of of being lonely as a child and they don't want to do that yeah. right and maybe they just don't have a safe space to talk to you because of what's in their head not because uh, because you're going to say the wrong thing yeah and they probably are just yearning for a normal conversation like what have you been doing at the morning you know what are you having for lunch what's on in your diary for That's tomorrow true. they probably are craving normality just so that they can get away from what they're going through and say okay well life is still going on for other people you've still got to you've got to go to work you know your family commitments and for them they probably want normality and the fact that you've been having the normal conversation with how's things going for decades you can't decide all of a sudden that I can't ask that question anymore it's almost like an automatic reflex yep Yep. And, and, um, about, about your comment about wanting to move on and just live your life. You know, there's, um, another story that was kind of fascinating to me in, in, in the book when, when, when he told it to me is a really tragic story about somebody who lost his newly, uh, married, you know, he was newly married and he lost his wife to breast cancer and they were able to process every single side every aspect, every facet of her impending death. They were very open and talked about everything. In fact, she joked with him, I'm going to be pissed off at the next woman that uh, finds you because I've made you so much better, right? They're going to get the best version of you. And they had processed it right fully. Now, granted, not easy, right? He, he certainly was you know, really, really sad afterward and was not easy, but... He had gotten through a lot of the ah, that that really difficult stuff because he was able to talk to her about it. So she passes away and everybody he runs into gives him puppy dog eyes like, oh, how are you doing? And oh, my gosh, and, I'm so sorry. And he was just he was long past that. Right. He was looking at where am I going to go? How am I going to live my life? He literally, Sheila, had to get on a plane every couple of weeks and fly, you know, three, 3,000 K away, three K away, you know, 2,000 miles across the country just to immerse himself around, around people that didn't know that he had just lost his wife because he, he didn't want that attention anymore. He wanted to go about picking up the pieces and moving forward, but around, around his people, you know, his, his people, his friends and his family and his coworkers and clients, he couldn't. Because they, they, all they did was sympathize and puppy dog I am. And he didn't want that anymore. I mean, that's an incredible story how that family worked it through together. So in theory, mm. they put, you know, the whole family in a good place. They were well prepared. And mm -hmm. that is just amazing. But I can certainly understand how, although he was still grieving and grieving has got many layers of emotion, yeah, the fact that he said, you know, I cannot cope with this. I've got to get away and just be normal. Life is going to go on. Things are going to change. And, and that's what he had to do. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Now, the reason that that part of the story was so important, well, there's two parts of his story that were so important. One was I tried to show how it was OK that he found love after losing the love of his life. And I think that that's important because. Uh, some people feel guilty about that, about that subject. Some people kind of don't understand it. But 
um, it's so brave and it's such, such a wonderful, wonderful story of how do you find love after the love of your life passes away, right? Um, part of that, the reason that he was able to do that was because he had processed so much with his wife, because they had talked so much about everything, and because she she made him commit to go into counseling after she died so that he could learn how to deal with his emotions. I mean, it was a very healthy way. And most people don't do that. Most people, Sheila, they don't talk about these things. They don't know how to talk about these things. They don't feel safe to. And they, they don't have the tools or the guidance with which to do this. And I thought it was important to bring this story because um, how do you move on from losing a spouse and finding love again? Well, one of the ways you do it is through uh, endless and proper communication, right? And and having deep, meaningful, heart-centered, real conversations and 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 developing the tools that you, that will help you get through these really unimaginably difficult, stressful, emotional times. And not not very many people take the time to do that or have the wherewithal or the just the awareness that they that they should do that. That story is just incredible. The fact they were so honest with each other. Mm -hmm. And his wife said, I know I'm going to leave, but I don't want you to live a life without somebody in your in your life. You know, we all want to be with somebody in one sort of form or another. And the fact that they talked it through, she gave him her blessing and mm -hmm. hopefully he went on and, and did find that special someone. I mean, that is just amazing. It's, it's amazing. And, and it's really, it, it really does teach you that at whatever cost, um, if you have the opportunity at whatever cost, please talk about these issues with the people that care about you and talk about it in a meaningful way, not a, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I know it's difficult, which is fine if you don't know, but, but that's not the way to talk about it. Now, I'll give you the opposite end of the spectrum on that. So what I did, and just a little background, is I said, I want to bring these 15 stories together and connect them all together. And what better way to connect them than to jump on my bike and do a solo bike ride across the country and meet meet them. And for for people that don't know the United States, I basically went south along the uh, the, the, the West Coast all the way across south, uh, zigzagging my way from California to Florida, which is the, the entirety of the United States. And then I went uh, north and headed up the coast to New York. So I put in uh, just under 5,000 miles. What's that, like 8,000K, 8K or something. So that's a lot of biking. When I was in, a, about a week and a half in, a friend of mine had joined me for a day or two. And he said, hey, I want you to meet my family. They, they want to take you out for brunch and thank you for doing what you're doing. And I went, oh, that's great. So we go out for brunch, Sheila, and the dad, his dad is like late 70s, early 80s, pulls me aside and he says, hey, you know, this whole thing you're doing, this book, the writing of emotions and teaching people how to talk is such a good thing. He goes, we, we need to use this. And he points to his head and we need to use this. And he points to his heart. He says, because it's so important. And I went, wow, somebody that gets it. And he told me about how he had, you know, dealt with leukemia and he had a cancer situation and he's fine now. And this was many years ago and blah, 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 blah. His daughter, my friend's sister, 
uh, before the brunch pulls me over and she says, oh, my God, you know, my brother told me about what you're doing. I'm so excited. It's so important. People need to know about the emotional side. They need to know how to talk. You know, I had uh, stage three breast cancer, double mastectomy. I used to be a nurse. Now I lobby for patient rights. And what you're doing is so important. It's so great. People just they need to talk about the emotional side. So we have this brunch and I'm super excited. And and at the end, I go, hey, listen, you guys are the anomaly, right? Uh, most people don't don't talk about it. And I look at the dad and I go, for you to be brave brave enough to talk about your your, your situation with your daughter. And he all of a sudden, he, his hands go in his lap and he puts his head down. And I go, hmm. And I look at the daughter and I go, well, for you to be brave enough to talk about your dad, about what you went through and be able to, on the emotional side, connect. And all of a sudden she does the same thing. And I look at him and I go, what, you guys haven't talked? And they go, no, we haven't talked about it. We, we just think it's a good idea that you're teaching people to talk about it. And I go, but you both just told me. And the dad was like, yeah, but I didn't want to burden my daughter and my family. I'm kind of old school Mexican. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I'm the man and I don't, I don't show weakness and I don't want to make them feel guilty. And then the daughter, she goes, you know, I didn't want to bring up his past and make him feel bad about it. And then how do I deal with the fact that he might lose a daughter? You know, like I feel guilty about that. And I haven't talked about it with him. And I said, this is exactly why I'm writing this book. Exactly. Because as close as you guys are and as much as you want to thank me for doing this, you both have never done it. You've never talked to each other about these things. And they said, yeah, it's too hard. We don't know how. And I said, well, you know. That was the point then where you knew, yes, it definitely had to be a book to help other people. Yes, because everybody that I ran into, Sheila, barring the occasional person who, like the story I told previously of Bobby, barring that very rare occasional person who, who talked through it, most people, almost everybody I ran into said, oh, my gosh, I, I you know. I, I don't know how I don't know what to do. You know, we were in Texas and my wife went down to uh, grab some food and uh, from the lobby of the hotel and she came back up and I said, boy, you're gone a long time. She said, oh, I was waiting in line to get some food and a woman was there and we just stroked up a conversation and I told her about your book and she said, oh, my God. She goes, you know, a co-worker's four-year-old son just got cancer. I don't know what to say to her. I can't wait for the book because I don't know what to say. Now, I don't know if my book will teach everybody what to say in all situations, but what it will do is it will give you 15 very diverse, very remarkable stories of how the trauma of what people have gone through affects their cancer journey so that we can be maybe inside of their head a little bit. And once we're inside of their head, we can maybe relate it to our own situation. One of the greatest reviews that I got early on, Sheila, was I got a note from a critical care nurse. I've been a critical care nurse for 15 years. It's going to make me a better caregiver. Wow, that's really cool. Because she said, I always thought I knew what my patients were going through. I never really knew what they were going through. I thought I knew. I mean, that is interesting that it's from a critical care nurse who is used to dealing with trauma, emotion, life. Mm -hmm death, etc. And she is saying, this is what we need. Yeah. And one of the stories is um, a very prolific, uh, well-known oncologist, you know, very uh, prestigious uh, cancer center in New York. 
and I spoke to her. Uh, she had been an oncologist for about 40 years. And when I spoke to her, Sheila, I said, hey, I, I got to ask you questions that you've never talked to anybody about. And the long story uh, answer she gave me, or the short, the short story to the long answer she gave me was, I'm talking to you because I've never talked to one other person about the emotional issues that I've gone through in the last 40 years. And I went, wow, that is so important because I will absolutely guarantee you, you cannot read her story without looking at your physician different again, going, you know what, maybe I should be concerned about what they're going through as well. Because if I can be a better patient, maybe that's going to make my doctor patient experience a little bit better. And so what I tried to do with the book is not just bring stories of people that that passed away or survivors or the loved ones, but also caregivers. I have a chief medical officer, so so somebody from the corporate side of this and how they process the emotions of it and, and just, um, you know, people that got cancer when they were young or witnessed it when they were young, got it when they were old or witnessed it when they were old, just all different facets of it, all a wide range of emotion. Even, Sheila, if you can believe this, one person who smiled when they heard they had terminal cancer, smiled. Could you imagine that? And so I think it's it's important to know that we don't know what people are going through and people that we care about and people that we are in our lives and are purposefully in our lives. We, we should develop a better sense of understanding that we don't know what they have gone through, what they are going through. And it's best to reach out and it's best to try to understand them. And it's best to not bring our own insecurities and our own conclusions to the conversation. There, there hasn't been one person that I've said, could you imagine somebody smiling when they heard they had brain cancer? And there's not a single person that goes, oh yeah, I can understand that. Because you cannot understand it. And, and I, if I give you the backstory, you would understand. But then you'd go, oh my gosh, that makes sense why she smiled at, at hearing those words, you have, you have brain cancer and you have to go in for emergency surgery. And she smiled. And when you hear the backstory, you'll go, oh my gosh, that makes sense. And it makes sense because when you, when you now understand what she was going through and what she had gone through and to the point to where she was when she heard that diagnosis, you can now say, oh my gosh, I understand why that was, although a very negative thing, why at that moment it made her feel so good. It still gives me chills thinking about it, right? This is all about everyone being honest, everyone laying their cards on the table, whether it is the person with cancer, the caregivers, the family, the co-workers, etc. Everybody is being totally honest. And when everyone is honest, you can then work through it together. Mm -hmm. But all the time, people are not being honest about how they feel, talking about the different levels of emotion, until that happens, nobody can move forward and, and be encouraging, supportive, talking, and, and just being totally, totally honest. Yeah. And if you're going to uh, go to the cafe to buy a cup of coffee and and the person that's that's helping you says, hey, how are you doing today? You don't then unload everything on them because the right there's, that's not the right time. But when your friend calls you up or your your child or your parent or your 
coworker or a friend of a friend you run into and they they look at you and they say, you know, how are you? Or, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on? That's an opportunity to talk, right? That's an opportunity to bridge that gap. And, you know, I believe, Sheila, that, that, that where the true beauty of life lies is I just believe this to my core in meaningful connection. I just, I just think that's where the true beauty of life is, is in meaningful connections. And uh, we're only connected. Humans are only really connected by one thing, and that's emotions. You know, we, we, we really are only connected by emotions, right? If I say to you, uh, you're in a dark cave and a big grizzly bear uh, senses you and is coming to run after you, you understand what fear is. We're connected by that. There's not a, a single person alive in any language in any time in history that wouldn't fit, be fearful. Okay. There isn't a single person alive that wouldn't understand the joy felt by a woman holding her baby for the first time. Right. That, that the thing that connects us is emotion. And, and that's where, that's where the beauty of life is, is in those, is in, is in understanding that and exploring that connection. And so for, for me, this book was wonderful because it allowed me to to talk to these people uh, for a few years and get super, super deep into the emotional side and really, really connect with them and, and hopefully, uh, you know, bringing their stories to, to everybody, you know, uh, really touches people in, in a special way and allows them to then go connect to people in their lives, you know? I think it's very interesting when you were talking about when you went for the brunch and there was the father and the daughter and they both basically said, we can't talk to each other about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And then you're just talking about the fact sometimes we need to talk to a complete stranger who is not emotionally connected, i.e. the father and the daughter, to actually feel, okay, I can tell this person everything. I can be totally honest. I can you know, say whatever I want to say because I've got no emotional connection with this person. Yep. You know, I'm not going to hurt anybody's feeling. I'm not going to say the wrong thing. I'm not going to upset them because it is somebody who is not emotionally connected. Yeah, that's a really good point, Sheila, because there wasn't one person that I spoke to that at some point didn't say to me, I'm going to tell you something I've really never told anybody, right? That's hard for us to do with people that we're emotionally connected to if we don't have a safe space, right? And it's hard to be 100% safe because when you're super intimate and you're su- you're super open and you know there's a give and take it it's it's difficult to be safe but like you said it it can be easier to be safe because that you don't have that emotional connection with a stranger but i think we all yearn for that emotional connection and so how can i be closer to my friends to my family to my husband to my wife to my kids i just have firmly believe it my kids will laugh you know my wife laughs all I, I always say this all the time, more communication is better than less. What's the solution to the problem? Talk about it. More commu- communication is always better than less. But you know what? Less communication is what we're all kind of used to. Right? So. And I think the thing as well, that whether you spoke to the, the, can- the people that had the cancer, whether it was their carers, family members, you were all working together to make this process easier for the next person 
that their experiences you are putting down in a book so that that book can help some other family to go through this. So it's almost like, I I don't want to use the word handbook because I don't think that's given it justice, but you are creating, let's say, a manual with the people with this experience to help people in the future. It's a manual, isn't it, to, to help them through this experience? It, it really is. And, and I think in, in, in the way that it is, right, it, it's a story-based book. So uh, each one of the 15 stories is brought first person as if the person the story is about has written it. I'm not in that story, even though I interviewed them, right? It's their story. I'm not in it. And I think that we all can identify with stories, right? We're all, we're, we're, humans love stories. And one of the things I love about the book is when I, I have a friend or somebody reads it and, and I can engage in the conversation is my, my first question is always like, Oh, which story was your favorite? And all of the stories are different. Everybody gives, Oh, I love this one. Or I like that one. Or, Oh, this one was really tough for me. Or that one was, was the one that really hit home. And so I feel like in one sense, mission accomplished because what might touch you, Sheila, might be different than what might touch, you know, your neighbor. And your neighbor might think, you know, one story was really spoke to them where you think a different story spoke to you. And that's what that's what my hope is. Each story is pretty easy to read in that it's not like one continuous, you know, 300 page book and you got to remember the storyline or whatever. You could pick it up, read the story of one person in 20 or 25 pages let that ponder, pick the book up again and, and read the next one. So even though the stories are a little heavy, sometimes they're, they're mostly inspiring, mostly positive, but definitely I feel like you leave each story with a better understanding of what people might be going through, you know, and you know, that's, that's important. If I, if I understand you just a little bit more, Sheila, if I understand just a little bit more of what you might be going through, it might allow me the safety to ask you questions or to make comments that maybe connect us a little bit deeper on an emotional level. One, one question for you, David. Mm-hmm. Writing this book, having these conversations, cycling 5,000 miles, your physical health, your mental health, how, how did you cope with this? <laughs> well, the physical part was pretty tough. Because I had to, I had to put in what would have been about um, 160k, so about 110, 112 miles every day, uh, for 41 out of 45 days, and on a big, heavy steel bike into the wind, um, mostly uh, self. Well, I, I had support along the way, but on the bike during the day, it was solo, right, and. I had 12, 14, 16 hour days of biking. So physically it was really, really difficult um, because I had a schedule to keep and I and I had to get from point A to point B every day and I had to get, get there. So a lot of lessons to be learned on relying on others and also being self-reliant. So physically it was really difficult, but I like that challenge a little bit. Um, intellectually, uh, I liked it because it was it allowed me when you're biking for 10 hours or 12 hours, um, you can think about a lot of things. And so intellectually, it, it really helped me um, formulate my thoughts on these stories and come up with a structure for the book and kind of how, how's it going to work? Um, you know, really start to pre write the stories in my head. 
But um, emotionally, that was a little difficult, the emotional side of it. Because, you know, you, when you're raw physically, when you're raw intellectually, you're a little more sensitive to the emotions of it. And so I was processing my the emotions around my sister's death. I was processing the emotions of, you know, people sending me stories along the way, meeting people along the way. And at times it was heavy. At times it was it was light, but still emotionally it was a it was a it was a journey. It was definitely a journey. And I'm I'm super grateful that I was able to do it because how often do I don't know you, but me and my world, we don't take six weeks off to go bike around the country and think about life, right? We just don't do that. So so I feel really grateful that I was able to do that. And out of that came so many great stories of the wonderful people that I met along the way. And and I think, again, I, I hope it doesn't sound trite, but I like this concept of connecting. And, you know, the the the, the bike ride did was the thread that connects all the stories. It just, you know, it's just it's just a form of connection. Your emotions must have been on such a roller coaster because I'm sure, as you say, some of the stories were positive and uplifting. Some of the stories were probably very dark and extremely emotional. I mean, mm-hmm. how, how did you cope? How did you process that? Having so much time on your own to think, as you say, on the bike. Yeah. So I think on the on the on the positive stories, that's easy to process because you, you know, who doesn't want to feel good emotionally? The difficult stories and and some of them are really difficult. I mean, one uh, per- participant who who walked in on his mom killing herself when he was a little kid. I had another story, um, a guy who had become a close friend of mine through this process, and he had beat cancer twice. And he was just given a third diagnosis, which was absolutely going to be terminal. Um, I had talked to somebody who had recently lost their spouse to cancer. I mean, there was some really heavy, heavy stuff. But I also was grateful and I felt grateful for it because uh, had they not trusted me and had they not allowed me to connect with them, I, I wouldn't have known these things. And at least they found a safe place to talk to somebody. At least they knew that somebody who was inconsequential in the overall scheme of things in their lives cared, you know. Um, So although it was difficult, I just I really felt a sense of gratitude that people would talk to me and share these things with me that were so private and so emotional and so evocative and so raw and real with the hopes that I could bring that story to others that it might help them that that's a very uh fulfilling emotional journey very fulfilling so even though difficult I I feel like it was a a a blessing a pleasure you know and the thing as well David you were going through the process after losing your sister Mm -hmm. so you were all really part of the, the same group of people yeah. going through the same thing but you were documenting their stories and um, I'm sure you were sharing your own story yeah and and you know look um uh what, what's strange is that we all we all kind of don't think our story is important we all think like oh 
Yeah, everybody I talk to, every, oh, why do you want to talk about my story? It's not so interesting because that's just the story that we live. And I, you know, our lives are our stories that we're living. We, we're not watching it as a movie. There's nothing special or unique about it. It's just us. And so I still find myself thinking, well, yeah, I did have to process the emotions about my sister and about, you know, being alone in the world and all of these other things. But you know what? Really, it's nothing compared to what other people have gone through. Right. We all kind of want to discount that. And I think it's a fair thing to say. You know, somebody's always got it better than us in the room and somebody always has it worse. I, I mean, but and it is what it is. So, you know, if, if you don't make, uh, you know, a mountain out of a, a molehill, then, you know, if you don't make such a big deal out of something little, then it's OK to make a big deal out of something big. And I don't care if it was a year ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. I ran into one guy on the bike. Sheila, this was crazy. Early on, I ran into a guy. And he stopped me. We were at a swimming hole. We went to go to, to see the swimming hole. And, and there was only one other person there. And, and he said, oh, what are you doing here? And we told him. And I said I was on this bike ride. And I said, what, what are you doing? And he reached into his pocket and he grabbed a coin. And he says, I'm a pastor who happens to be a magician. And I went, wow, I've never heard of a magician pastor, but okay. And he says, you know where I'm going with this coin? And I said, where? And he said, I've been estranged from my brother for 35 years and he's passed away many, many years ago. And I feel it's time to make amends. So I'm driving to California from Oklahoma to put this coin on his gravestone as a way to mend that fence. And I went, whoa, 35 years estranged. And he's finally dealing with this issue long after his brother's dead and he feels good about it. And I went, everybody's going through something. And it doesn't matter if it was a year ago or 10 years ago or 35 years ago, right? It's important. And if you can come to terms with it and if you can learn how to deal with it, how uh, how just amazing and inspiring is that? So it was a great uh, reminder and a great story to me that it's it, it doesn't matter when you deal with it. It doesn't matter how big it is at the moment when, you know, at some point it's okay to deal with it. And my life was enriched because he had the safety and the, and the guts and the, felt the comfort to be able to tell a perfect stranger such an intimate and wonderful thought. And he doesn't know that that being carried forward to, to me, you know, now several years later or a few years later, but how wonderful is that? And I would have never, ever have gotten that opportunity to hear that wonderful story if, uh, if a stranger hadn't stopped talking to me and vice versa. This, for me, is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. Everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's a hobby, it's somewhere you've been traveling, a job. Everybody's got a story. And when I started doing this podcast, I was really excited. Now, when I've done, I don't know how many podcasts I've done, 15, 16, I absolutely love it. Because the stories are so random, and to me, it's the randomness, if that's even a word, is the beauty. Everybody has got a story. Yeah. It's... And your story of the magician pastor, I think, and, and that's the story of hope. 35 years until he felt in a place to address the issues between him and his brother, there is no time limit. There is no due date. There is no use-by date. Absolutely. Right. 
And on, on an emotional level, he needed that. He needed to connect with his brother. And I just, I just find those kind of things just so amazing because, um, again, with my belief that we're all connected with this one thing, this, the emotional side for when I hear that people deal with the emotional side and they feel safe to deal with it and they can come to terms with things that are often unexplainable or that are often unfathomable that we could come to terms with such things to be able to come to terms with them. It's just, it, it really is fulfilling. It's just fulfilling when you can mend a fence, when you can fix a problem, when you can connect with somebody, even if it's just with your child, your child self, if you can connect with, with them and heal and move forward, and have a meaningful, heart-centered conversation, interaction, connection with other people. I, I just feel those are the moments in life that matter. So, David, you did the journey. You kept the promise to your sister. Mm-hmm. You met the people. You listened. You talked. You wrote the story. Mm-hmm. Do you feel proud of what you've done? <laughs> your sister was here. Mm-hmm. What would she say to you? Yeah, I, I think she, well, she'd be proud for sure. Am I proud? Yeah, I'm, I'm proud. I, look, look um, it, it's hard it, it, because it's self-serving, right? When, 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 you, when you bake a cake and you say to somebody, you know, do you like the cake? Well, yeah, you know, yeah, I made the cake because I hoped you like it, but I don't want to, you know, it's just, it's, there's a little guilt there, right? Of it's not about me, it's about the cake. So, uh, yes, I am proud of what I've done. I think the stories are really good. Um, I, I, I know that they are emotional stories, inspiring. They're very touching. And, uh, I think I brought light, the right light to a, a lot of these stories that I can be proud of them. And I think my sister would be proud. And, and I, I, I'm more grateful than I am proud, but I do feel I do feel really good about the whole thing. I have to say, David, I'm feeling very, very emotional. I, I'm I'm so glad that you do feel proud because listening to your story and you've touched on some of the stories of people in the book. It mm-hmm. it's just incredible. I mean you reached out to me and I am just so thankful you have reached out to me. It's an incredible story. So while I go and get a tissue, David, can you tell <laughs> people where where they can find out more about you and, and sure. I mean I know they can get the book on, on uh, Amazon. I've checked the UK site and it's absolutely there. So David, where can people get in touch with you? Sure. Well, thank you, Sheila. And um, sorry to make you bust out the Kleenex, but or the tissues, but um, <laughs> yeah, what the heck? Look at us, thousands of miles away, and we're connected. Um, so the book is available anywhere books are sold. Uh, Amazon is where most books are sold, so go to Amazon. The good thing about buying the book is not only is it hopefully going to be a good read, but 100% of the proceeds go to support the cancer-focused organizations that each one of the participants chose. So. My wife and I decided that we're going to put 100% of what comes to me 
to those organizations. So, so not only do you get the book, but you also know that it's, it's going to support great, uh, organizations like, um, the American Cancer Society and different cancer hospitals around the country and that type of stuff. So, so yeah, they can do that. You can buy a book on, on my website. It's just cycleoflives.org, which will make sense to some people and others. I don't know if that's an address that internationally people can use or not. But I'll put all your contact details on. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, they can always reach out to me and I can send them a, a, an ebook. I'd be happy to send anybody an ebook that wants one. And if you want a signed copy, just go to my website and I'll, I'll be happy to send a signed copy. David, I mean, thank you so much for reaching out to me. And what, what's next for you, David? Do you have any plans for another bike ride or another challenge? Or <laughs> I think I'll leave those 5,000 mile bike rides in the past for now. Um, I'm actually working on a couple of different fiction books and uh, really immersing myself in promoting um, Cycle of Lives because I think it can really make an impact. And so I'm focusing on that, um, increasing readership and, you know, hopefully touching people with these stories the way I've been touched with them. And then, uh, yeah, uh, more books in the more books in the works for sure. Oh, well, David, thank you so, so much. It's, it's been it's been an emotional journey, I have to say, for me, listening to the stories and, and talking to you. And I know your sister would be so proud. I know she would. I mean, you, you have just touched so many lives, and I know everybody's going to enjoy this podcast. So, David, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You're welcome, and thank you, Cheryl. I totally enjoyed myself. I hope you have enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget, if you have a story you would like to tell, please get in touch. My email address is allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and thank you for listening.